Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What's up, gang? How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah. How many of you guys were here last weekend for Easter? It's a whole lot of you? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people here last weekend. I imagine most of the people in here were. Um, so I appreciate you guys being here this morning uh, and coming in and hanging out with us in person. But also, I don't know if you guys know, there are literally hundreds of people that watch online every single week. So do you guys mind joining me and just welcoming them to, for joining us today and tuning in? taking the time to watch while you're on vacation or wherever you're at. I know my mom watches every week from North Carolina because uh, she's a good mom, but you know. Uh, so anyway, so I know there are people that watch from all over the place. Uh, last week was a party, man. It was so fun. Um, like Emily said earlier, there were 13 baptisms. There were 61 people that made a decision to give their life to Christ. And yeah, that's huge. You can celebrate it again. I thought she... We, I thought she stole my thunder, but she did not. You still gave me the moment that I needed. I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was incredible. So that part of it is the 61 people. That's the most important thing that we do week after week, year after year. We do a lot of really cool things at Pathways. We have an awesome service every single Sunday. We have an awesome uh, students. We have awesome kids programs. We have all these partners in the area that we do stuff with. But the most important thing that we do is the stuff that makes an eternal impact. And um, that last week was a huge win on that front. So, uh, so if you were one of the people that were here last week and you made that decision for the first time and you're here in the room, um, if you haven't made, like taking your next steps yet, um, I want to encourage you to go talk to Tammy out front after this and figure out what your next steps are, whether it's baptism coming up at the end of this month or whether it's finding a small group, whatever. And if, you're, if you have a friend or a family member that came with you on Easter um, and they were one of those 61 people especially, I want to encourage you guys to invite them back. Bring them back. We don't want to just get them to this point and then drop them off. We want to be part of that journey with them. So invite them back and let's, let's do this all together. So... Um, all right, so I'll, I'll admit something real quick is that I'm a lot more nervous today than I normally am whenever I'm preaching. Um, I don't know why. It's, uh, where it, there's a little bit of like irony that I'm preaching on the weight of your words and if like I use my words wrong in the middle of this, like that's kind of funny. Maybe that's it, I don't know. So um, since I am a little nervous today, I would love it if you guys would do me a favor because I'm not normally nervous on stage. If you guys, if I say something even a little bit funny, like, I'm gonna need you guys to really, like, pep that up a little bit, all right? Okay, and if I say something even just a little bit good, I need you to act like that was the best thing that you've heard all year from this pulpit, okay? Adam's not here this week. He's not gonna get jealous, okay? It'll be okay. It'll be all right. Um, I'm just kidding. He's probably watching right now. I just said that with him looking at me. That's embarrassing. So, speaking of the weight of your words. So, you guys ready to get to work this morning? You guys ready to do this? All right. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Keep that, yeah, keep that energy this morning. That's what I'm talking about. All right, Proverbs 18, 21. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. 
So this is what we're talking about today, the weight of your words and how the things we say and the way we use our words have such significant impact. Now I'm gonna hone this in a little later. If I just tell you right now, like make sure you use your words better. And that's all I left you with for the whole day. That's a, that's a, I mean, that's a lot. You're like, you mean all the time? You mean every single thing I say to every single person in my life? Yes, that's a whole lot to think about. So later on, we're gonna hone this in just on the idea of criticism. But for now, I need to lay down a couple of foundational truths to start before we get to that part, okay? So the first foundational truth is that how how you use your speech will determine the fruit it produces. It says the life of power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Well, what fruit is your tongue producing? Is your tongue producing life or is it producing death? There's a good, easy assessment that we can make here is to ask yourself, do I communicate in a way that produces life in my marriage? Do I communicate in a way that produces life with my kids, with my teenagers? Do I, produce, do I communicate in a way that produces life in my friendships and relationships? Do I communicate in a way that produces life with my boss? That's a hard one. Yeah. Do I, do I communicate in a way that produces life with strangers? There's a pet, little pet peeve of mine is when I hold the door for people and they don't say thank you. So we should be saying thank you, okay? Right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, with strangers. I'm telling you, man, there's like six people that come through that door while I'm holding it and none of them even look at me. I'm like, you're welcome. (laughs) I like stare until they make eye contact. It's like real awkward. So um, that's that's not even a joke. That's That's just a fact right there. So assess the way you talk. Decide, does the way that I speak produce life? And now it's not just... The words we use, the words we use are so important, right? But as my wife used to remind me often, it's not always what you say, but it's ah, man. I felt like I was just a game show host for a second. <laughs> that was really good, guys. I know you guys have said that before. I know that you've heard it before. It's not just what you say, but it's how you say it. Are you speaking words that bring life and are you sharing them in a way that brings life? Because both matter. A quick little story about a couple of my friends, Mark and Beth. Um, So they both, they're incredible people. Beth is one of the sweetest, gentlest people you'll ever meet in your life. She's just kind and she's just soft about everything. Mark, however, is really loud and he, I think he, the word that I think of is holler. He doesn't yell, he hollers. You know what I'm saying? He's just screaming all the time. He's so exciting to be around. And they speak, everything that they say comes out differently. Um, they were at these two different weddings. Uh, the first wedding, Beth was in the wedding, so she gave a speech at the end. And at the end of her speech, everybody in the crowd is crying because she's just sweet about everything she says. And Mark was like, that was pretty good. I think I'm gonna share that in the wedding I'm in next month. So then the next month, he shares the exact same speech and everybody's laughing at him. <laughs> he's like, because the way, he's like, I think I said the same thing she said, but the way you say things matter. So we should be paying attention to the words we use and the way we say them. Now, Luke 6, 45 says, a good man 
brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The King James says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the first truth was that the way you use your words will determine its fruit. The second foundational truth I wanna share with you is what's in your heart will determine your speech. What's in your heart will determine your speech. Let me ask you a question. What comes out when our hearts are full of anxiety and impatience and doubt? What comes out of our mouth then? What comes out of our mouth when we're full of anger or resentment? What comes out of our mouth whenever we're full of fear? On the flip side, what if our heart is full of trust in God's plan? To assess that, do you talk like you trust God? Or are you still panicking about not being able to pay your bills? Or about the rift in your relationship with your mom? Or about your job security? Or about whether or not you're ever gonna find that man or woman, you know? Are those the things that you talk about, the things that you're worried about? Is that what comes out of your mouth? Or does trust in God's plan come out of your mouth? So what if our hearts fully believed that God answers prayers? I think that the reason we don't pray more is because we don't believe it works more. What if we fully believed that God answers prayers? And that was in our heart. Would the way we talk and the way we talk about prayer be different? What if our hearts fully accepted God's authority, not just God's grace, but his authority? Would we talk differently then? Now, we had almost 2,000 people here last week on Easter Sunday that came in this building. It was like just under 1,900 maybe. I can't remember exactly the number. And what if we had 2,000 people that came into this building on Easter Sunday that left and went into the community, into Fox Valley, with hearts that were full of joy and gratitude and peace? 2,000 people that are at schools, at their jobs, in their regular family lives that are talking to people that don't know Jesus and don't, some people that don't know much about Jesus. And they're sharing out of their mouth what is in the contents of their heart, joy and gratitude and peace. What if that's the impact that we put out in the valley because of the way we speak, because our hearts are more in line with God's? If we wanna align our speech with God, we need to align our heart with God. Now, I'm not talking about speaking more churchy. I'm talking about speaking more godly, right? So like somebody comes out into you in public and they're like, how you doing today? And you're like, I'm washed in the blood. Like, <laughs> that's churchy, okay? You say that at the wrong place, the cops are gonna get called. You know what I'm saying? They're like, you're at your kid's daycare right now. You should keep your mouth shut, okay? So like, that's different. I'm talking about speaking godly. I'm not talking about using phrases that people that don't go to church don't understand, okay? I'm talking about speaking out of grace and love and kindness and mercy, the things that God has for us to live out for his kingdom, right? So um, 
This is encouragement to, if you wanna get your heart closer to God, I wanna encourage you to spend more time with Jesus. That's why it's important for us to have chair time, like our, our personal time where we sit down and read our Bible, where we listen to some worship music, we pray, we just focus on our personal relationship with Jesus. That's why it's important to spend time with other believers, like coming here on a Sunday morning where we're all in this building together, encouraging each other, doing something together that we can build this community together. That's why it's important to be in a small group. We've talked, talk, already mentioned this before, but that might be some of you guys' next step is to be in a small group. That's why it's important to share your faith with others. These are all things that get your heart closer to Jesus, to make us sound and look and act more like Jesus. But it starts with what's inside. As we align our hearts with God, it comes out in the way we speak. Then our speech produces life. We speak with more patience, more gentleness, more grace. And if we're bad at those things, maybe we just don't speak at all. <laughs> Maybe we speak less. That's actually something I'm learning right now. Um, it's funny to say that on stage with a microphone. I'm learning not to talk. Learning to keep my mouth shut. I really am. Like, it's not easy, guys. Everything that comes into this brain is at risk <laughs> of coming out of this mouth. And we don't want that, I promise you. So I'm getting better at keeping my mouth shut. That's hard, man. I'm telling you, it is not easy. James 1:19 says, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Not some of you, not just Nathan. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Those are some strong words. Those who do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, their, religious, their religion is worthless. The way we use our tongue is important. It only takes a few seconds to say something that you can end up regretting for years. And in a split second, you can say something that takes a lifetime to heal from. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen according to their needs, not what I need to get off my chest, not what I need to get out of my head, but according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, I'm not very good at this. I'm still learning. Um, let me give you a perfect example of some time, a time that I wish I'd kept my stupid mouth shut. Now, I'm gonna, uh, I wanna warn you, this is, Super, a super embarrassing story, okay? This might be the most embarrassing thing I've ever said to another human being. And in just a couple minutes, some of you are probably gonna think differently about me. Let's just be honest. This was, this was one of the worst things. But I, have, I am trusting, right, that you guys are gonna have a little grace on me because I know you've said some dumb things too. It's not just me, all right? So take it easy on me. I'm gonna tell you this story. One time I was in Oklahoma, I was working at a church and uh, 
I was out with a friend and I had this, I don't have bad allergies, but I had this weird allergy attack. I don't know what happened, what we got into. We were outside and like, do y'all know what poison sumac is? Is that a thing around here? That's the only thing I can think it is because it's the only thing that I've never been around before then. And my face swolled up so big. My eyes closed and were like teary and watering and that crusty stuff. And my nose started running. I could hardly breathe. This all happened in about 30 minutes. My face hurt, like everything from here up just hurt. I don't know what, it, what, it, what I got into. So while we're still out, I'm now... I'm like, we gotta do something about this. I can't just go the rest of my day like this. This is miserable. So we stopped at a gas station. We got some Benadryl. I took two of them. That's not a good idea. Benadryl <laughs> knocked me out, man, okay? So I took two of them, and I was desperate. This, I, was in, I was miserable. Um, the problem is, though, that for the next three or four or five hours, I'm still gonna be around a lot of people. And if you don't fall asleep after taking something like that, you start to lose some of your mental faculties, apparently. <laughs> and things get real weird. And I remember being around all these people. I was talking a lot. I'm like feeling kind of loopy and odd. And Jessica's like, Nathan, you're being so weird. Like, you need to be quiet. I'm like, I know, but I can't. Like, I'm like, I can't stop talking. I just kept, I, it was so odd. So then we were, we were spending time with a, a, a friend. It was actually one of my best friend's sister-in-law. We were talking to her, and this was like the first time I ever met her. So uh, this is one of those things that like you don't want to embarrass yourself in front of them, but you're gonna, you know? So she saw my anchor tattoo, and she was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I have an anchor tattoo. And I was like, oh, cool. What's the story with your tattoo? She was like, well, you know, like me and my ex-husband, uh, shortly after we got married, we got these anchor tattoos. And I was like, oh, gosh, I, can almost, I almost can't say it. This is so bad. <laughs> Please forgive me, guys. This was a while ago, okay? Um, I was like, oh, yeah. Me, oh, man. Me and my, I was like, me and my brothers all got anchor tattoos, but yeah, they can't leave me. <laughs> I was, I was mortified. I was like, what did you just say? I like, I couldn't get them back. They're gone. They're out there now, you know? And, oh my gosh. Now, like, I'm crying. It was so, that's so embarrassing. So, uh, anyway, so, uh, I, I said that. I did. And uh, as soon as we got away from her, me and Jessica are in the car, and we're, like, driving home. And I was like, did you hear what I said? And Jessica was like, no, what is wrong with you? I was like... I don't know, man. So it was like a, a month or two later, uh, Jessica and her had gotten really close. We had kind of formed a relationship with her and I told her, I didn't tell her exactly what I said, but I told her that I said something and that I'm really sorry. And uh, she was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like she didn't even hear me. Why did I admit it? Why did I say? That was so dumb. Anyways, that was the worst. This is a perfect example of keeping a tight rein on your tongue. Did not happen. Um, James 3, 3 and 6 says, or 3 through 6 says, when we, put this, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. That's what I needed that day was a bit in my mouth. Or take ships as an example. Although 
They're so large and are driven by strong winds. They're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself on fire by hell. The Bible instructs us to take control of our tongue because this small piece can run this entire ship aground. All it takes is one wildly embarrassing comment or statement to cause chaos, confusion, and hurt. But on the flip side, all it takes is one well-placed compliment. One truly thoughtful consideration to make an impact that's gonna last somebody and change their perspective and last somebody their entire life. I've had things that have been said to me that were passing statements, and I could think of three or four right off the top of my head, passing statements that I still think about regularly that have changed the way I do things and the way I treat people and the way my relationship with God has formed over the years just because of these quick passing statements, saying the right thing the right way at the right time. It's so important. Now, just to further send this point home, that your boy right here isn't very good with his words, when Jessica and I were in uh, pre-marriage counseling, we took this assessment about love languages. Does anybody know what the love languages are? Yeah, if, you, if you're not sure what they are, you know what, honestly, it's not that important for the story. All you need to know is, um, all you need to know is that, first of all, Jessica's highest score was on the love language words of affirmation. Jessica is a sweet, caring, like very kind person, very complimentary, and it, it means a lot to her to receive words of affirmation, to receive compliments, to receive praise. It does a lot for her personally, and she's good at giving them as well. My lowest score was words of affirmation. Now, not only was it my lowest, it was a flat zero. Like, not only was I not good at it, I was horrible at it. These are, this is something that I have to work so hard to be any good at, if my stories haven't told that enough already so far. So, this is where we're gonna dip into the more focused point here. This whole message isn't just about how you speak. The small point is about criticism. This is about criticism. So there was about a year or more in our marriage where I was super critical of Jessica and it was unnecessary and it wasn't about important things. I just was really critical of Jessica. And that, you see, you hear how I say her name sometimes, Jessica. I can't, I can't hate it. I was so critical of her for a while and I didn't mean to be. And it got to the point where Jessica was just scared to do anything around me. Everything she did, she thought I was gonna be disapproving. She thought I was gonna be disappointed. She was insecure and worried all the time. And that's how I made her feel. I made Jessica feel insecure and broken. Now, this is the person that I care about most in the world. I want Jessica to feel like a star. I am her biggest fan, I promise you. Jessica is, I mean, 
She's the most important person in my life. So I should be making her feel confident and capable and bold, empowered. Instead, I was belittling her and I was wounding her because I was critical, because I couldn't keep my mouth shut. Because every little annoying thing that happened when I was in a bad mood, I would say it. Now you're probably wondering why there's a car door out here right now. What does this have to do with criticism? Treating my wife like this, the person that I care about more than anyone else in the world, was a lot like keying my own car. I'm putting these wounds and these scratches in something that's supposed to be taking care of me. Like this thing protects me and I protect it. Me and Jessica were supposed to be looking out for each other. Anytime I get a chance, I'm supposed to be cleaning this thing up. I'm supposed to be making sure this thing runs smoothly, that it's gonna last a long time, that it's gonna have a healthy, long life, that it's gonna look beautiful in the process. And instead, I'm bringing all this insane criticism that's completely unnecessary. Every time I critiqued her cooking, keying the car, Every time I told her that I didn't like how she talked to me, how she invited the wrong friends, how her job is annoying, how she's not doing things right at church, how she's not playing right, she doesn't practice enough, all the things that I'm just adding scratches. I don't like how you're cooking right now. Every little thing that she does, never praising the the effort, but always putting scratches on something that I'm supposed to be caring for all this unnecessary criticism. Now, as a point of acknowledgement, I just wanna make sure you know, I know that we shouldn't just let our loved ones make dangerous mistakes over and over and over and never step in to help. But these were not dangerous mistakes. This was me being petty. It was me being nitpicky because I was agitated or annoyed. There's a big difference between keying your car and buffing it out. Both require pressure. Both require a certain amount of abrasion. But buffing this thing up and making it look nice means I have to be intentional about it. It means I have to be careful about it. It means I have to be gentle. But I wasn't. I was being difficult. Now, James 3.10 says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? If you take a cup of salt water and a cup of fresh water and you mix them together, what do you have? Salt water. You're never gonna make the salt water cleaner by adding fresh water to it. You're only gonna contaminate the fresh water. My brothers and sisters, Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. How can I bless my wife and tear her down at the same time? I can't. And I'm not the only one scratching that door. Our families are critical sometimes. Our coworkers, our kids, strangers, church family. Why'd you wear that at church this week? What? Quit scratching my door, man. You know what I'm saying? Why are we all, like, there's a lot of people that have say on this thing. There's a lot of other people that are coming behind me, even when I'm not looking, saying things that sometimes they may say something that you don't even 
Like, it's not even that critical of a statement. You're just a little sensitive at that time. They don't realize that you've already got some wounds in this area or that you're already a little insecure about this thing. And there's other things going on and I'm contributing to it. I'm not the only one leaving a mark. My challenge is, this is the, this is the bite-sized take-home part that everybody here needs to hear. As simple as this is, this is one of those things that like, Everybody knows to do it. Nobody's good enough at it, okay? Anytime you get to the point where you're about to criticize, you're about to critique something unnecessarily, you've decided your preference matters and you're gonna just share how they should do something your way, whatever it is, when you're about to criticize somebody, instead, take a step back. What can you compliment? What can you encourage? And if you can't do either of those, can you be quiet? Can we compliment, can we encourage, and can we be quiet? Because this is the paint, this is the, the outcome of our words whenever we're not using them wisely. There will be a moment where you get to take some time and buff this out, polish this up, clean this up. But most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, it's a good idea to wait and listen first, take some time, be gentle. Maybe don't say anything at all. Imagine if this car door right here, this one in front of you, got a chance to see itself in the mirror. Now I know it doesn't have eyes. I know how car doors work, okay? But just imagine that this car can see itself and I set a mirror up right here and it looks at itself. What is it gonna say? How does this door define itself now? It says I'm damaged, I'm ugly, I'm compromised, I'm incapable, I'm useless, I'm worthless. These are the things that get into our own heads because other people have come and scratched our door. These are the things that we put into other people's heads when they see themselves. I'm worthless. Now let me finish, I'm gonna flip this upside down for you guys because I think there's some healing that should happen. I wanna talk to the ones who are recovering from words used against you. I imagine this is everybody in here, but your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends, your coworkers, your church family, strangers, they all have an influence on the value that you set on yourself. So I'm gonna give you three things to think about to place ahead of that value to place ahead of that label that you've put on yourself. Number one, God already set your value. You don't get to do that. God's already set it. And Jesus has a receipt where he paid a pretty high price for you. And your value has been set, and the Bible reminds us. In Psalm 139, it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. The things that other people have said, the scratches that other people have put on your door don't matter because God has already decided that this is valuable. And we go a step further. The second thing is it's not even about you. If we read that same verse, we keep going, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made for your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
Your works are wonderful. The only reason I'm even wonderfully made in the first place is because of what the work that you do is wonderful. And that's a good thing. Here's what I mean. It's a good thing that it's not about us. You try to conduct a symphony of things that happen in the universe for us to even be here right now. You're not gonna be able to do it. You try to set the plan in motion that leads to things like love and mercy and grace and healing and redemption for mankind. We can't do it. We're incapable. God is the center of creation and the center of eternity. So if God can be the center of my eternity, shouldn't he be the center of my life? Not me, God. If I can trust God with my eternity, can I trust him with my insecurity? If I can trust God with my eternity, can I trust him with my identity? He's the one that sets that value because it's not about you in the first place, it's about God. And if we realize that it's about God and not about us, we can let go of the stress that comes along with trying to control where God is leading us. We realize that God, the creator and author and perfecter and provider and healer, he's gonna handle all the things that you think you aren't good enough for. And we can be confident that his works are wonderful. He might put you in a position that you think you aren't equipped for, and then he'll make it work beautifully because it was never about what I'm capable of. It's about what he's capable of. I'm gonna do everything I can because I'm diligent, because I wanna honor the gifts that God's given me. But once I've done everything I can, it's up to God to do what only he can. And I have to trust that his works are wonderful and know that full well. He might put you in a position that you think you're not equipped for, make it work great. He can take a broken limb and hit a home run. I just wanna be the broken limb. It's not about me, it's about him. And the third thing is that freedom comes in the form of surrender. When we let go of what people think and what we think about ourselves, if I can accept, accept my insecurity and move forward that knowing God can handle my flaws, I don't have to stress the outcome of every difficult situation. I don't have to hold on to the bad words spoken over me. Instead, I can be confident in the things that God asks of me and watch him take care of the outcome. But it's not easy to get to that point. It requires us to surrender. My dad was, an, was a pastor for my entire life and before. He was an awesome, awesome man. And when he gave his life to Jesus, he was in seminary school, in college, that's where he, I don't know why he decided to go to seminary before he gave his life to Jesus, but he was there. He had been a drug dealer and drug user. He held on to anger and bitterness. He had broken relationships all around him. One night on a walk alone, he finally had enough and he told God, I've done everything I can and I've ruined it all. If you still want me, I'm yours. He got to that point of surrender where he realized I can't do it on my own anymore. And I've tried 
And all I've got is the evidence of failure. And if you're willing to take that, I don't even know if it's enough. You can have it. Do you guys mind bowing your heads with me? Are you at that place yet where you're ready to surrender? For those of you that are Christians that are here that have a relationship with Jesus, that are watching online, that have a relationship with Jesus, are you ready to surrender your speech, your tongue? Let this powerful thing speak life. Are you ready to take the fruit or connect your heart with Jesus first so that you can experience the fruit of the tongue? Now, I assume that the Christians in the room, the Christians watching, are gonna say yes, that we need to surrender more, that we need to give our speech to Jesus. We need to give him more of our heart, become more like him so that we can sound more like him, so that we can speak life into the people around us, into the things that are going on in this world around us. So I'm gonna ask that you guys pray this with me. You don't have to pray it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this chance to be reminded of how to use our words. I pray that we can surrender our words to you. I pray that I can just be better about being an encourager instead of a criticizer. God, I pray that I can be better about being quiet when I don't have the right things to say. God, I pray that you just move through my speech that the people around me can experience the life that comes from the fruit of my speech, God. That I can make a difference in people's identity, that I can make a difference in the people around me that you love so much with my words. In Jesus' name I pray. You keep your heads bowed. Are you at that place where you haven't given your life to Jesus and you've been afraid to surrender? and you've been holding back, just that word alone. Surrender. I give up what I cared about because what God cares about is so much more important and what he does with my life is gonna be so much better than the mess that I've made of it. Are you at that point where you're ready to say, if you still want me, I'm yours? If there's anybody here that hasn't made that decision or you want to place today as the day where you're getting back on track with your relationship with Jesus and you're surrendering your life to him, I just want to ask that you raise your hand right now. I see you back here. Thank you. I see you up there. Hey, little buddy. Okay, I see you, bud. If you're online and you're making that decision today, I wanna just ask you to reach out, put a, a, a comment and let us know that you're making this decision so that we can be a part of this journey with you. And one of the things I love about Pathways Church is that we pray together. We wanna support you, we wanna be here with you. So I'm gonna ask that everybody in here say this prayer with me, just to repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, 
take me. Do whatever you want with me. I'm tired of trying to hold it all together. I'm exhausted and I keep messing this thing up. You can have me, all of me. You've already paid the price for me. And now I'm yours, completely yours. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody said, amen. Would you guys celebrate with the people that just made that decision today?